0: open up your bibles to james chapter 3 no i did not get confused as to what day it is james chapter 3 We have about uh, three, maybe four weeks left. Uh, I think I'm gonna stretch it to January 7th, the week right before winter camp, to finish out uh, spiritual gifts. Uh, So we have only a couple more gifts to look at. So I hope that you guys have been taking diligent notes and, and maybe not necessarily diligent notes, but at least evaluating after each one of these classes, does this gift line up with my personality? Does it line up with how God has maybe gifted me or some of the desires I have? Maybe those desires I have fit some of these gifts that we've been going through because it's really important to know because as we've looked at since the very beginning and multiple times throughout the course of this study, whatever it is that God has gifted you with is a part of this body of this ministry that is lacking and we need you to step up, step up on. We need you to... Interact. We need you to implement that gift into your life and into this ministry so that we can further grow and you can further edify and build up the body of Christ. And today's gift is no different. Uh, so at the top of your study sheet, we have the gift of governments. That one might sound weird, but it is scriptural. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, And God set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles we talked a lot about a lot of these apostolic gifts they're no longer in operation uh but there are some in this verse that we do get then gifts of healings helps governments diversities of tongues One corinthians 12 28 so what is governments well on your outline look at the introduction there it is the supernatural ability to put together creative effective organizational plans in an area or areas of ministry in the church that causes it to function well. People gifted with governments can often see the best people in the best places as they govern the ship, which is a group of people, to get to its destination. I'll never forget. It's, it's uh, Pastor Mike Blake has all these weird definitions to words to help you remember them more. And it's more on the silly side, but it does kind of, it sticks with you and helps you. Like Fellowship, a good definition for fellowship is a ship of fellows. And really when you've traced that word throughout scripture, it is a group of people that are together, a couple of fellows, and they are together. They're in one unified location on a goal, on a destiny somewhere. He also says, gospel, go spell it out to someone. The one that I still have yet to figure out is compassion. Come, pass I on. I don't really get how that illustrates compassion, but... Maybe I'll text him that this week. But hopefully that helps you remember what fellowship is. And the reason that we talk about it being a ship is because in letter A on your outline, the literal definition of government, it's those who can direct, steer, or guide a group of people. It's This person is known as a helmsman. And the reason I had you turn to James chapter 3 is because of what it says in verse 4. Who can read that for me? Isabella, the governor from which we get the word governments, the governor is the helm. It is the steering device that guides the ship of fellows. So in other words, what we glean, what we glean from this, because what is chapter three of James all about? Yeah, Carlin. The tongue. The tongue is powerful enough that it can steer a ship towards an iceberg if need be. How about that? It works into the message. Or steer away from danger like Caleb drowning. I won't go into the rest of it. I'll be here all day if I do that. But you know how it applies to what we're talking about today with governments? Somebody who has this gift is an effective communicator doesn't necessarily mean that they have the gift of teaching, doesn't necessarily mean that they're an upfront person. It means that they know how to communicate everything we looked at. They're able to guide, direct, steer a group of people. They're able to creatively and effectively organize plans together. You must be an effective communicator. You need to be able to voice and articulate what's going on up here. A lot of us, you know, especially this tends to be more with like a lot of artistic people, that they're very creative in their minds, but maybe sometimes a lot of the ideas they have, they have trouble articulating it or getting it out. Governments, you're able to articulate that and get what's inside out. You know how to use words aright. Doesn't mean you're gonna be an upfront personality, doesn't mean you're going to be a teacher. You're just, and that'll be more clear as we go through with this, but you have to be an effective communicator with this gift. And as a side note on there, The legislative branch of our government is an organizational body of leaders who design and establish guidelines to help maintain the proper functions of our society. Legislative branch members look similar to those blessed with the supernatural gift of governments in the local church. Somebody tell me, what is the legislative branch primarily responsible for doing and not arguing on Capitol Hill? seems to be what they do best right now, but what is the legislative branch supposed to be doing? They are the the lawmakers. They're the ones who write and come up with the law. And it's the executive branch that carries it out. More on that in a little bit. That's important to know though. They come up with it, they organize it, they write it. They're not the president of the United States. They're just in charge of coming up with, organizing and spelling it out. That's key. Letter B. Ministries within churches need structure implemented so that ministry functions properly. Uh, Maybe, and you guys might be too young uh, for those of you who are gonna, with what I'm gonna say next, but I am astounded at how many churches that maybe even some of you guys came from before Jackson that are just incredibly disorganized and in disarray. That there's no structure, there's no order. They just kind of, for them, it's like, well, church, church shouldn't be, an organization, and they're right. The church is an organism. It's a living body. It's the body of Christ. It should not be an organization that a lot of churches have been turned into. However, there are business aspects sides of things, and there are business there is business that needs to be taken care of within the church, and it requires structure, it requires order, especially with ministries, in order for them to function properly, or properly, sorry. God has gifted certain people with godly organizational and administrative abilities. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll oh, stink. I took a picture. Is anybody going to be upset if I erase the board? This is actually one day where I need it. Is anybody really going to be heartbroken? No, yes. yeah. <laughs> All, everybody who had nothing to do with it. I already erased the pirate with the hook hand. He, he was, he's been Thanos. He's been Thanos. All right. 1 Corinthians. I just need that section. Chapter 11. Can I get a reader for verse 34? I'm going to start calling dudes. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye may come not together under condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I. Come. We don't need to look at the context of that, necessarily, because we'd be here all day. But look at the rest that he said there. Uh, anybody know? Corinth. Especially the first letter, Corinth. Uh, good, godly church doing what's right or completely and utterly disarray? One. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Disorganized, completely sinful, and in- involved in all sorts of heinous sin. Paul's writing to them to say, hey, get your affairs in order. And when I come and see you guys, I'm going to set some things in order because this is not how the body of Christ is supposed to operate. Turn over to chapter 14. Chapter that is widely taken out of context. This entire chapter is really about um, the speaking in tongues. And man, if anybody just were to go through and just read what this chapter actually says, keeping in mind the context of why Paul's writing them. Paul's not writing to the church in Corinth saying, you're doing such a good job. He's writing them saying, you guys are off on so many areas. And he ends this chapter speaking about tongues and their proper use back then with verse 40. Read it for that one. Peyton, go ahead. Uh, Let all things be done decently and in order. All things decently and in order. Structure matters. We have to have disciplined, organized Functions in order for us to carry out our duties properly. And last, turn over to chapter sixteen. Verse one. Anyone. Isabella. the saints, given to the churches of Galatia, even so do Again, telling them, order, structure. And last but certainly not least, Colossians two, five up here on the screen. Paul again writing, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. We're going to talk about steadfastness this Wednesday. So come back out, bring a friend. Order. This is a church that was doing things right. They were structured. They were ordered. In light of these four verses that we just looked at, somebody go ahead and just summarize what type of person... Without saying structure and order, what type of person is someone who has the gift of governments? Organized. What was that? Perfectionist. Uh, can be, can be. I mean, perfectionist tends to go more on the negative side, where there may be too much like this. But it's a very much an attention to. Yeah, go ahead. With a vision. vision. Visionary for sure. The one I was looking for is they're very detail-oriented people. detail oriented people very much so that's what somebody with the gift of government says now again and we'll look at this later I want to jump too far ahead that doesn't mean you're the one carrying it out what's the executive branch known for doing carrying out the laws there's a difference and we'll get to that in a second here but let's look at some biblical examples turn over to Exodus 18 who the heck is Jethro It's on your study sheet. Um, we're about midway down. You have to you have to sound out the consonants, and then when you come to a vowel, you have to sound that out, and then you'll be able to find out where it is. Yeah. Jethro, X is 18. Okay, now back to my question. Who's Jethro? I mm. can't. He's somebody's father-in-law. Who is he? Thank you. Yes. Exodus chapter 18. Look with me in verse 13. I'll read this one. It's quite lengthy, but make sure you guys are following along. This is huge. Tell me if this sounds very familiar to you. Verse 13. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. A judge. I mean, he's, he's discerning. He's helping them. And the people stood by Moses from the morning until the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. This happens all the time in churches today. So, let's try to put it in a modern day application. According, so far, where we're at in the study, who is, what, it, what would Moses be in today's day and age? Well, specifically starts with a P, but oh. n- well no. What you're thinking Old Testament and then completely twisted version of scripture in the New Testament. Another P word. Person. Thank you, pastor. Yes. He would be a pastor, and there are people that are coming to him, so they would be a picture of the church. church. And in a lot of churches today <laughs> And in a lot of church you okay? Did you have some of his energy drink? No, I'm good. Okay. In a lot of churches today, the pastor is the one running the show. The pastor is the one that all of the people come to because he's the man of God. He's the one who went off to Bible college. He's the one with the seminary degree. According to his own testimony in some churches, he studied the Hebrew and the Greek, so he knows the original languages of which the Bible was written. So therefore, you must come to him because he's the one that's going to help you understand the Bible. But do you know one of the reasons, there's several, one of the reasons why so many churches die out today is because of the fact that the pastor doesn't teach his flock spiritual gifts and tells his flock how they can take a part of the body of Christ and how they can help edify and build up and strengthen and do some work themselves and take a little bit of the responsibility. Because it's a one-man show for him. And that's what Jethro's trying to get Moses to see. Look at verse, where we leave off? Verse 16. And Moses is saying, when they have a matter, they come unto me. And I judge between one and another. And I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. He's talking about biblically counseling people, which is something that a pastor should do. A shepherd should do is counsel the flock. But look at the wisdom that Jethro passes out in verse 17. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is what? Why? Verse 18. Thou wilt surely wear away. You're going to get burned out, Moses. You're taking on too much. Both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Pastors who are all about a one-man show and taking on most of the brunt themselves, they're going to burn out, and the church is going to break up, and they're going to fall away, and that's why churches die out. Because the pastor doesn't even think, who's going to take this job over when I croak? God forbid, what if I'm in my 40s and I die? Who's, what's going to happen to the rest of this flock? Because he hasn't trained his people how to t- step up and take over. He isn't thinking that far ahead. It's all about him and what he's able to do. Now, I say that very much in a negative context, but some pastors, that's just how they were trained. They don't know any better. That's one of the reasons why we have several churches come and see us. I don't know if you guys know this or not. Mostly as a result of Eddie and Sarah Ziss when they went on their deputation for the mission field and started visiting all these churches in the continental United States. When Eddie would go and ask them, hey, what's your plan for discipleship? They'd be like, what's discipleship? And then he would go on and tell them what discipleship is. And then when he would actually stand up before their church, Eddie, and he would present their plan for what they were going to do when they go into the Philippines. The amount of pastors who had said to Pastor Eddie afterwards, do you realize how many missionaries or missionary candidates we have come up to our pulpits and they don't even have a plan for what they're going to do when they get to the field? It is so refreshing for us to have you up here. You have thought out thoroughly what you're gonna do. Uh, Can you tell us more about what this discipleship is? And then, as a result of that, we have churches from all over the continental U.S. come here and we have workshops for them where we actually explain what one-on-one discipleship is, and we tell them, if you're serious about this, you implement this at your church for one year, and then we will send a team down to you and help introduce it church-wide, which is what we did with Gulfport, Mississippi. It's huge. So a lot of the times it's because that a pastor is just ignorant. He was just doing what he was trained to do and just be a one-man show where everything revolves around him. And that is how burnout happens. That's why discipleship helps. When you train your disciple, and this is where I'm going to be hammering this huge, when we start this, it'll more than likely be on a Sunday after winter camp, again a four week five week study on really the philosophy and the heartbeat behind discipleship and we're gonna look at the practicalities and again if that sounds boring to you because like i'm already a disciple i'm already discipling change your attitude now on it because there are things that i even had to look at differently through everything that i went through down at gulf i'm like huh yeah i haven't thought about it like that in a very long time and i think it's really going to radicalize our youth ministry But when you think about it that way and you change your perspective on it and you start implementing these things, you're not just worried about your disciple and your people, you start, concern, you start focusing more on your disciple's disciple and how it is an ongoing process. That's what Jethro is trying to introduce to Moses here. In verse 19, he says, Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to God word that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. Pray for them. Verse 20, And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk. You're a pastor, you're a preacher, you're a teacher, and the work that they must do. Moreover, verse 21, what do I do about this counseling thing then? Well, here's the answer. Thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all seasons. Let them be the counselors. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge so shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. Holy smokes, am I reading all this? No, we don't have to. There there we go. I mean, that's basically it. He says in verse 20, Thou shalt do the thing God commanded thee, so then shall the people be able to endure. And so Moses goes and he implements it. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, instead of Corey discipling all of you, No, I'll disciple one or two, and then you two go and you disciple two, and then the other two, they'll disciple two, and then the original two, they'll go disciple. That's multiplication. That's what you guys are already doing. That's what so many churches miss. But Jethro was the one who organized it. Jethro was the one who came up with the creative plan. Moses was the one who just put it into motion. Make sense? He implemented it. It's called delegation, it's discipleship, that's what we're seeing here. Uh, It's not on your study sheet, but write down Numbers 11, verses 13 to 17, right next to that, and then turn over there. Numbers 11, verses 13 to 17. I love it. And there are some people who are very staunch against discipleship, and they'll say, discipleship's not biblical. Um, Read the Gospels. See what Jesus did for three and a half years of his life. And not only that, read the rest of your Bible. Even in the Old Testament, we just read a passage of implementing discipleship. But I love Numbers 11. This happens many, many years later in Moses' leadership. Look at verse 13. Moses is just worn out because the people, they're now out of, uh, well, they've been out, even going back to Exodus 18. They're out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness, wandering in their disbelief. And here, Moses is just fed up with their, their whining. They're, he's fed up with their crying because God provided manna for them. These little soft little pieces of cake bread. For them to eat and be nourished and they were upset with God about it they were whining and so Moses comes before the Lord and he says "Whence should I have flesh to give unto these people for they weep unto me saying give us flesh that we may eat this is Moses praying to God by the way look what he says in verse 14 I am NOT able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me he doesn't have the gift of governments and he's trying to take it on himself And look how he says his prayer to God in verse 15. If thou, God, deal thus with me, what? Wow. This is a prayer that Moses had to the Lord. The pressure of leading people was so much for him. And their whining was so much for him. It caused him to just want to end it all. He's pleading for God to take him out because he didn't want to deal with it anymore. I pray thee out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. Look what God's advice to him is in verse 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers unto them over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of congregation, that they may stand there with thee. Hmm. And I will come down and talk with thee there. And I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee and will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee that thou bear it not thyself alone. Sound familiar? What God told Moses to do in order to take his sorrow away, in order to help share the burden, was the exact same bit of advice that God, through Jethro, told Moses back in Exodus 18. So we see something here. Moses either must not have implemented the plan to perfection, or he implemented the plan, and then over the course of time, he let it slack. Which is why we can never get too comfortable with discipleship. Every now and then, we need a refresher course on why we do what we do. And Moses needed one here because he was about ready to end it all. God's advice to him is the exact same thing that Jethro gave him. To reestablish it. To have other people that take the most of the hits and then you handle the big stuff, Moses. So Jethro, he was huge at delegating. He was huge at having the gift of governments. Next, turn over to Luke chapter 1. Another person with this gift is Luke. Sometimes known as Luke the Evangelist. Although it's kind of funny, it's not really mentioned that he is. Luke actually doesn't show up that many times in the Bible. Luke was not one of the 12 disciples. Uh, He more than likely was a Gentile probably of the original 70 that christ sent out on that missions trip during the uh, the course of the gospels but you know what's funny luke doesn't he shows up only a couple times throughout the rest of scripture not really much is known of him he wasn't a pastor wasn't a missionary he was faithful next to paul at the end of paul's life in second timothy chapter four uh he was a a worker i think in Colossians, the end of uh, colossians chapter four he's mentioned there and philemon as well that's really all that's mentioned about luke Not an upfront guy, but he definitely had the gift of governments here. What did I say earlier? Those with the gift of governments, they are, well, as Noah put it, perfectionists or just very detail-oriented people. Anybody know what Luke's job was? That's what it is in Colossians chapter 4. What was it? Colossians chapter 4 says that Luke is the beloved physician he was a doctor. I thought that's what you said. That's why I was asking. Was it really, or do you lie? No, that's what I said. Did you say it? <laughs> Way off. Luke was a doctor. You know what a doctor has to do? A doctor has to be very detail oriented, especially when it comes to the human body. And that's why when he dis- when he writes the Gospel of Luke, Luke's perspective of Jesus Christ is all on presenting Christ as the man of God, the son of man. He writes about Jesus' humanity. He writes about the human aspects of Jesus Christ in areas that no other gospel does. Not Matthew, Mark, or John. Luke is very detail-oriented about Jesus Christ being 100% God, yes, but also 100% man. He looks at his humanity and how he thinks, acts, and feels like we do, yet without sin. Who better to write this from that perspective than a doctor who is very well attuned with the human body? And talk about detail-oriented. Talk about being wordy and verbose. I stinking love this guy. I think we might be distantly related. Look how he writes. Look at the first four verses of how he starts this gospel. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, the sentence still isn't over yet, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed that's his intro. I stinking love this guy. I love you all to death, but whenever, you know, eternity future kicks in and time is no more. If time were to still be a thing in in eternity, I'm not going to see you guys for probably 400 years. Why? Because I'm going to be in a conversation with him for that long. We're just going to have endless conversations of run-on sentences. We're going to go for hours on end while people talking. We might even interrupt each other. I love it. This guy's detail-oriented. He's wordy. Oh, and by the way, Luke just so happens to be the longest gospel. Has the most words out of any of them. I love it. Who better to write the book of Acts? I love this. You can't read this. And this is how we know, because we see that he's writing the book of Luke to his friend Theophilus, and he mentions him here again in Acts 1. You can't read this without just sounding smarter yourself. I almost, I mean, he's a Gentile, but I don't think, I mean, Britain wasn't a country then, but you can just almost hear it. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. I love it. I love it. Hmm. Words. And then he goes on again for another lengthy introduction in the book of Acts. And anybody ever read the book of Acts? That's 28 long chapters. Very detail-oriented. Again, I want to reiterate. Yes, he's structured, but he's not a pastor or a missionary. He's not really an upfront guy. All we know from him is that he was a physician in Colossians 4. He was a faithful friend to Paul at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy 4. And he's just mentioned in passing in Philemon. That's it. Yeah, he wrote Luke and Acts, but he's not one of the 12. Structured, detail-oriented, an administrator. And again, did you guys know what the goal was behind his gospel? Two times he mentions it in those first four verses. His goal was to set things in order. He wanted the gospel account to be ordered. He had the gift of government's. Of structure, of putting things together creatively. May not have had the gift to stand up and preach and teach the Bible or to lead a church, but he was good at administrating, he was good at organizing. And last we have Titus. Titus 1:5, Paul is telling Titus, for this cause left I thee in Crete that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. And there was a lot of things wanting in the churches of the island of Crete. And ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Now, Titus was a pastor. He was an upfront guy. And he was really gifted. And that's why Paul said, hey, I'm leaving you there that you could set this thing in order. It's very, very key. Now, it doesn't mean that, well, yeah. Most of these examples, people that are behind the scenes people. Titus is one example of somebody who is upfront. And he had this gift. Letter D. Though government is a leadership quality in these people, it is more often the administration end of it. Sometimes there is an expectation that they will be a great ruler in that structure, and they are not, that's key. Just because somebody is good at organizing and administrating does not mean that they are excellent in leading in certain areas. That's crucial. Uh, In this case too, that's right. So this is where things start to kind of get a little bit. You know what's funny? Somebody put the caps on the wrong marker. Somebody does not have the gift of governments because that would be ordered and structured. Just kidding. Just kidding. You guys are not laughing today. What is wrong with you? Wake up. Have a C4 energy drink, will you? That was Mason, wasn't it? (laughs) Mason, I missed you. Where have you been all my life? All right. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. right. Go sit in the back with Mason. (laughs) All right. So we have helps, ministering, governments. And next week, I think it's Rick or Andy. It's Andy because he's uh, off to, or he's working today. Yeah. He'll be doing ruling. Now again, this is where there's a lot of people. When we're doing spiritual gifts, they will combine certain gifts together. But I hope you guys saw, especially with these two, that we did look at. There's a difference from them. You guys remember how helps helps is more self-governed. Remember I talked I talked about that. Somebody who's like, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go deliver meals to them. You know, they're suffering right now. They're, you know, he just lost his job. I'm just going to take some meals over to them. I'm not a part of any official ministry. This is just something that God is laying on my heart to do. That helps. Ministering, as we covered a couple weeks ago, is you are under the authority and the leadership of somebody else in a ministry capacity. You're still helping people, but you're in an official ministry capacity, serving under the leadership of another. So this is more serving. Governments, as we're seeing, it's more the administrative side of things. Ruling is someone who's able to carry out the administrative side of things. Does that make sense? So both of these gifts have to do with leading. However, governments is more behind the scenes. Ruling is more up front. Governments is more the administrative. Ruling is more the carrying it out. Being the one who's able to take the plan of this person and put it into action. Does that make sense? So next week when Annie starts teaching on this, keep that in mind because you'll be like, man, that sounds an awful lot like governments. No, this is the difference. This is the administrative. This is the carrying it outside. These two are more on the serving end. These two follow under the plan of these two. Make sense? Bingo to all two of you. Next. Turn over to Exodus chapter four. Exodus chapter four. So maybe there's a service project that you're really wanting to do, but as far as getting, recruiting the helpers figuring out the time, the dates, the plan, the organizing, you're like, man, that's just not me. Then I would say you probably don't have the gift of governments. But somebody who is able to coordinate, keep a track of the schedule, keep a track of what tools do we need to, to implement the service project, like we did at the ZYSAS a couple months ago. What tools do we need? Who's going to do what roles, what jobs? Somebody who organizes that, they would have the gift of governments. Exodus 4, look with me in verses 14 to 16. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Why? Because Moses kept making excuse after excuse after excuse as to why he doesn't have this spiritual gift. The gift of speaking, that is, and being a leader. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when ye seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth, and he will teach you what to do or what you shall do. And so in other words, Moses, uh, why why was Moses worried about going up in front of Pharaoh? What was his excuse? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like, I'm not of strong speech. I'm going to botch this entire job. You can't trust on me. And so God's like, hey, you got your brother Moses. What I tell you, I'm going to tell him. You have him to lean on. And turn over to chapter 7. Look what he says in verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, lowercase g. And Aaron, thy brother, shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron, thy brother, shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. So Aaron was the one that was helping administrate. He was the one who was helping. I guess you could say he was the one carrying it out. And that's why, or letter E, those with this gift may be well-balanced, serving alongside someone who can execute the plan. So in this case, Aaron would be the one who is the ruler. Again, more on that next week. And Moses was more the administrator. He delegated to Aaron to help do this. Someone who can execute the plan with diligence. So again, I think, Carlin, it was you earlier who said, like, someone with the gift of governments, they're a visionary. They come up with the plan, they come up with the idea, whereas the ruler carries out the idea More on that next week. Letter F, this gift is closely related to that of ruler, not to be redundant, but then again, I'm very wordy and verbose, O Theophilus. The gift is closely related to that of the ruler. God uses two different words, governments and rulers, to demonstrate that there is a relation, but also a slight difference in these gifts. This is is actually a great example as to why every word of the King James Bible matters. Because there's a lot of people, when you look at the definition, governments and rulers, they're the same thing. But God doesn't use the same word there. And so if we're focusing on every word because every word of God is pure, if God chose one word for one thing and another word over here, then that must mean that the two words are separate. I know, it's very, very simple, but you have to think about it to realize, oh, yeah. So two things that are different, they're not the same. So we can't just lump these two gifts together like some people do. Because when you start digging into it and you start looking at what the Bible has to say with each of those words, you find that they all have different meanings because they're two separate words. They can't mean the same thing, so we can't lump them together as the same gift. The Bible is self-explanatory. The Bible is self-defining. Just trust it and go with it but there's a slight difference as we already looked at. Letter G, whether we are gifted or not in governments, we would all do well to establish good systems of order in our lives and areas of ministry. As we have said time and time again throughout the course of this study, you may not be supernaturally gifted in this area beyond what's natural, but every single one of us should at least strive to some degree or another to have this level of order and structure in our lives, to help delegate and administrate these sort of things to some degree or another because, as we've already talked about, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order. All things means all things within the church, but also within your lives. If you are somebody who is particularly messy or particularly just disorganized and you thrive in chaos, again, that maybe tend to be more of those on the artistic side of things, but there needs to be more structure involved in your life you need at least some level and semblance of balance there but for those of you who are supernaturally gifted and you're like man just through the examples of scripture and through the examples that we talked about in class I'm starting to see and realize that, yeah, I, I am always the one that's organizing family events or I'm the one that's always organizing and I actually love organizing other get-togethers of things with friends and I help coordinate these things and I delegate and I say, hey, this is your job, this is what you need to go do and this is what, then if that's the case, start looking for ways to implement it. Talk with any of your leaders about how we could maybe look into implementing these things. Again, the point of this series is not just for us to be like, hey, what does the Bible say about spiritual gifts? That's boring. That's boring. The point of it is for you guys to see, where is it that God has gifted me? Because if you're like me, or which maybe you are, maybe you're not. it took me a little bit longer to see th- certain things. And I needed somebody to sit down and clearly go through scriptures, or just somebody say, hey, I've observed you, I've watched you your entire life, and I see that you're gifted in this area. God has gifted you with it. And then they challenge me to do something with it. And that's our point with you guys, is for you guys to start looking at, okay, what is it that God has gifted me in? Everything that we've looked at. And now how can I take that and start putting it into practice? And even if I'm wrong, maybe I think that it is, but I can't see it. Start throwing some stuff at the wall. Start implementing it in some way and let God confirm or deny that you have the gift or not. Let Him do it. But if this is just another Sunday school where you're like, okay, cool, I got some information, but you're not actively thinking, how am I gifted? Where am I gifted? How can I put it in that practice? Then, hey, hope you had fun the last three and a half months. That's not the point of what we do things for. Because the body of Christ needs you. This youth ministry needs you and wherever God has gifted you in to step up and implement certain of those things.